Welcome to the Hope New Podcast, a podcast for parents of children impacted by disabilities, where we believe there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Your hosts are Jonathan and Sarah McGuire. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jonathan. Spring is officially here. Can you share with our audience what we have planned? I don't know. Okay, well, that's a little anticlimactic. How about our plans for next week? I don't really know. We were going to go visit friends in Virginia and go to D.C. for a couple days, but that's not going to happen. Okay, do we have plans this week? I don't know. How about today? Well, today, I do have plans. I plan to check on the boys' homeschool progress and help where it's needed, and then clean the car, and go to the post office. But, of course, all that can and likely will change. (laughs) Of course. Okay, so you can see that we had all these great plans, and normally we have a routine that we can follow pretty well. But we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, and everything is up in the air right now. I know this affects special needs parents in some especially difficult ways, with the changes in childcare, a greater percentage of our kids who have suppressed immune systems or breathing challenges already and are especially vulnerable. Changes in routine can throw some of our kids into an absolute tailspin and a variety of other challenges. It also reminds me of the beginning of the special needs journey when parents first receive a diagnosis for the child. Or when they hit a time of medical crisis where the entire future becomes a giant question mark and all future plans are just erased and become a huge unknown. Today we talk with Jamie Sumner. Jamie has written for the New York Times and the Washington Post, among many other publications. She is the author of the nonfiction book on motherhood, Unbound, and the middle-grade novel, Roll With It. She's also a mom to a son with cerebral palsy, and she writes and speaks about disability in literature. She loves stories that celebrate the grit and beauty in all kids, and she and her family live in Nashville, Tennessee. Jamie has most recently authored Eat, Sleep, Save the World. A link to it can be found in our show notes. This conversation was an encouragement and delight as we chatted with Jamie. Today, we hit on topics that pretty much all parents of kids with disability or special needs deal with, and how to be encouraged in times when life is hard and the future is unknown. I love Jamie's heart, and I know you'll be encouraged, just as Jonathan and I were, by this conversation. Hey, Jamie, welcome to the Hope A New podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It is so fun to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Well, we live in Nashville, Tennessee, my husband Jody and I, and I have three kids. Charlie just turned eight as of yesterday when we record this, and I have five-year-old twins, Cora and Jonas, and um, I am. I used to teach high school English forever <laughs> and then turned to freelance writing and I've written books for middle grade readers. Um, Roll With It is one of those. And I write faith-based books, which is what I'm here to talk about today. Um, Eat, Sleep, Save the World is the book that just came out for parents of kids with special needs, which I'm really excited about. Um, But I also kind of write everywhere. I write for the New York Times and the Washington Post and, and all sorts of outlets that I kind of am honored to be able to share my voice in. So that's me. All right. And what is your daily life like with Charlie? So 
it's funny. I kind of have two answers for this. So Charlie, (laughs) (laughs) Charlie is, yeah, like I said, he just turned eight, but he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy when he was one. Um, So he's in a wheelchair and he has a speaking device because he's mostly nonverbal, which I always want to clarify whenever I say that it, his receptive language and the things that he understands is above average. Mm. It's just his his expressive language and his ability to show you that he understands it that he just can't get it out. So we use something that looks like an iPad to help him with that. But what he understands that, that of the world that's going on around him and what people are saying to him is is on par. But anyway, all that to say, my daily life when Charlie was little was much different than it is now because he was born... 10 weeks early and the day actually that he was born, we got the official diagnosis that he had Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome. I'm not sure if that actually sent me into labor, but it's it labor definitely started like the hour after uh, after we got that call from the wow. Mayo Clinic. Yeah. And because he was my first, I did not know that it was labor. So I'm thinking, oh, I just got some back pain. I'll be fine. My husband left to play hockey. (laughs) And he, I mean, this was a total God thing, but, but he ended up turning around. He got off the interstate and he's like, I don't feel right leaving her. And he turned around and came home. And by the time we got to the hospital, I I had Charlie 45 minutes later, which is just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So all, all, everything about that was fast, but all that to say, part of the Beck with Wiedemann is he, Charlie was born with an enlarged tongue. And so it took us probably 12 weeks in the NICU to figure out how to help him breathe safely around that tongue. And so we came home with a tracheotomy. Charlie had a tracheotomy to help him breathe through his neck. And then later we got a G-tube in his belly to help him eat. And so those first really two years, daily life was like, I I don't even think I could say daily life. I think I would have to say hourly life Mm -hmm. because- we were just living moment to moment. I mean, I had a suction machine that I used to suction out the trach to keep it clear. And and um, he slept with an oxygen monitor and a heart rate monitor that would mo- that would be for anything. Like a breeze would blow by and that thing would go off. So we didn't sleep a whole lot. And I just really felt like in the beginning, so everything felt tenuous, you know, and everything felt big. But in, in, I will stop and say in a good way, the bit, the little stuff felt big, like the little, the little happy things. Like, um, when he had his first birthday and he actually got to, he actually ate his cake, you Mm. know, was a really Mm. huge deal. And the first time he said mama, like once the trach was removed was just a huge deal. Like I have that on video. Sometimes I will just watch it and cry all over again (laughs) because all those little things that like you may not appreciate if you hadn't lived through so much are such big deals for us. I, yeah, I can totally relate with that. Our son, Jordan, now his, um, he had autism and was nonverbal when he was young, like, oh yeah, almost completely nonverbal. He had a few words, but he didn't use like five, but he didn't use them appropriately. So he said certain words, but they didn't apply to what he was using them for. Right. But yeah, when he started improving and that first time he said, Mama, oh my word. Yeah. Tears. It just, oh my gosh. It's like, there is no, I can't think of a a human in the world that wouldn't just break down at that. Just because 
you have waited and and wondered if it would ever even happen. Yes. So and how old was he at that point? So he got the trach out when he was about a year and a half old. But the first time he said mama, I think he was maybe four. Wow. He was between three and four. And he he's the same. He has a, only a handful of words. Um, he can actually speak more words when he's laying down because mm-hmm. he doesn't have to use his core to help hold himself up. Oh, okay. And so when we lay him down at night, we still have a baby monitor in his room. When we lay him down at night, we... Uh, he just goes crazy. He's like, yeah, yeah, mama, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, so we can hear it. And it's so funny. It's so funny. It's like his just his, he's just opened up. And sometimes he'll do it. He'll wake up in the middle of the night and we'll hear him just laughing to himself. Wow. Oh, and I'm just like, I want to know what is so funny in there because it sounds like a party. Oh, my goodness. How fun. Like the real Charlie it comes out. So <laughs> That's so cool. It is, yeah, exactly. It is so funny. But to answer your question about what our life looks like now, it looks fairly normal. I mean, he goes to public school. He rides the the bus and he loves his bus ladies. And, you know, he uses his wheelchair in school and kids fight over, like, who gets to push him on the playground. And it's a really sweet, he goes to horseback riding therapy. Like, that's his sport. Like, Cora and Jonas are currently playing baseball and softball and Charlie's sport is horseback riding. And so everybody has their stuff and their gear and it's just really sweet. I'm, I'm grateful for all the normalcy that we get to have now after so much, yeah. so long of not having it. Mm. Yeah, that's a huge blessing. Yeah. 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 Something I'm wondering is, as you described those first two years and all the special mm-hmm. equipment and machines and care that Charlie needed that was so specific, did you ever have help, like anybody who was able to help you, or was it you full-time? So the answer is I had help in the most unexpected of places. Like mm-hmm. I... So we live, I'm in, I live in Nashville and I grew up in Nashville. So my parents are here, but they didn't know necessarily how to take care of a child like Charlie any more than I did, you know, especially not more than I did. Um, And so when he first came home from the NICU, I took a semester off. I was still teaching high school English and I took that semester off, obviously, and was just trying to get my bearings. And for a while, it was just, me as far as trying to feed him and which was a horrific battle because we went home and we didn't have a g-tube and so I it was you know it's like I'm the kind of person who like I'm very driven I'm very goal-oriented and usually if I set my mind to something it can I can make it happen and but that it doesn't work that way with your children and parenting um and especially like it, it didn't work that way with with trying to feed Charlie and it was a battle I lost, but in the end, it was a battle that God won because getting that G-tube freed us up to really actually become a mother and son and me not try to just be his nurse, Mm. just powering through. And so in light of that, once he got that G-tube, I was able to get more people to come in and help me because that is something someone can do. And so this is so sweet. So Charlie's primary nurse, the one that was in the NICU with him for so long, she and I obviously spent a lot of time together. And when we were finally leaving, she's like, if you ever need me, just call me. And and I didn't, Aww. 
I was like, oh, thank you. You know, and, and we traded numbers, but, but once you're home and you're out of that environment, it's like, she's there and I'm here and these worlds don't cross kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I probably would have never called her, but she called me to check in. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, tomorrow's my day off. Do you want me to come over and watch Charlie? So wow. you can just oh walk around the block or just That's get amazing. out of the house. And uh, in a world where like, you feel like you're the only one that can take care of your child, except this one person who you trusted with his life when he was in the NICU and they call you and offer to come. I mean, it was just incredible. And she, when I went back to work after that semester was over, she came and watched Charlie twice a week on her days off from the NICU while I went back to work. Wow. Yes. So she, God brought her into my life. And Mm -hmm. then through my teaching, I taught a girl whose mother was in charge of the special needs ministry at our, our, it was a Christian school and church. So she was in charge of that at the church. And she, because I knew the mother, the mother offered to come watch Charlie and she had been a former nurse and she offered to come watch Charlie on the other days that I was working. So I had two nurses with extensive experience with kids with special needs that offered to come watch Charlie. I mean, it's incredible. Gigi is her name and the book Eat, Sleep, Save the World is dedicated to Gigi. Mm. And she's still in our lives. Like we still go to special Saturdays that she has at the church. And I I can't imagine, I can't imagine having gone through Charlie's early childhood without those people. But also it was very hard for me to ask for help because it's just like, like I had said before, it's not in my nature. Like I want to power through Mm -hmm. and I feel there's that sense of failure if you can't do it on your own. I think the world is very good at making you feel like if you're not totally self-sufficient, you're failing in some way. And I think God spoke to my heart because he brought these people to me. It's it's almost like he knew I didn't know how to ask in those moments. And so he said, okay, I'm just going to send these people Mm -hmm. to you. Mm. And your job is just to accept this offer. And it just made all the difference. It really did. I think that's such a critical message for especially moms, but all special needs parents to hear because I had the same issues. Like I thought I was the only one that could take care of Jordan. And Mm -hmm. I didn't accept things that would either one, make my life easier or two, even give me a 10 minute break. Right. And that was a critical mistake that I want other parents to hear and say, you know, anything you can do. And so I love that you accepted the help when it was offered and that you leaned into that because that is critical for our own mental, emotional, and physical health. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, and I think, I mean, it really was to the breaking point when, when I did accept that help, like when, when Charlie stopped eating, and we didn't know what to do. Like, I have never felt more at my wits end and more just me literally helpless. Um, I, I cannot remember another time in my life. That and then when Charlie was having seizures, those are the two things that I've never felt less capable. But those are the two times when God has swooped in and 
made me feel most taken care of, which, you know, I guess says something to our, all of our tendencies to kind of delude ourselves that we are in control. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It wasn't until I reached the end of myself that I finally accepted help from others. And it wasn't until that point that God provided the help from others. Yeah. yeah. Wow. No, that's, that's so good. That's so moving, powerful. Um, I don't know, I almost teared up a couple times just listening there. So, um, Listen, if we all cry on this, I, I would not be surprised. I'm going to try <laughs> to keep it together, but if it happens, it happens. Right? Yeah, it's just sort of how life is now. So it's, oh. it's good. It's, yeah, real and uh, vulnerable. So that, that's good. Now, your book, Eat, Sleep, Save the World, was just launched in the beginning of March. Can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit why, why did you write the book and who is it written for? And I'm curious about the title. That's a unique title. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's funny. So I'll tell you about the title first. So it had a different title. It was called Keep On Superhero, which I like too. But the more I thought about the message of the book, you know, parents of kids with special needs kind of get called superhero all the time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the reaction to that, my reaction a lot of times is, I'm just living my life. You know, I'm just taking care of the people that God put in, in my circle. But there is this flip side to there's, there is something supernatural about what we do because God's hands are so in it. You know, there, there is something about the parenting we do. And I think because what we've just been talking about, because we do find ourselves at the edge of ourselves so much more, I think. Um, there is something super about it that I think we need to acknowledge. So there is that there, but eat, sleep, save the world, I think really encompasses the the feeling of the book because it's like we eat, sleep. Oh yeah. And we're saving the world at the same time. And this is just our life and this is what we do. And, you know, we ourselves need to acknowledge the things that we're doing right and that we're doing well when all of our tendencies lean so far to what we could be doing better. I think every parent does that. I talk about the mom guilt um, and then 10,000 times that the special needs parent guilt a lot in the book because I think there is always this idea that because our kids need more from us, there's more of a tug and there's more of a to-do list in our heads all the time of, oh, I could have stretched him more or, oh, I could have looked into the speech therapy or, oh, I could have been more patient or, oh, they've been on, they've been using screen time too much or, you know, there's always something. And so the book, I really wanted to be, you know, the subtitle is encouragement for special needs parents. And that's what I wanted it to be. I didn't want it to be a handbook of like, this is what you need to do. Cause I think we, we know that enough. Um, and I didn't want it to be something that that made parents feel inadequate. I really just wanted it to be the kind of book that would help parents feel encouraged and like they're not alone because it can be very lonely, this kind of parenting. And so I wanted it to be a comfort. And I think there is a perspective shift that if you can get yourself there where you do start to look at all the gifts God has given you to uniquely take care of your child, that can make you a little more at ease and at peace with your parenting situation and less always looking for the thing that 
you should be doing better or more of. I think there, I think God doesn't want us to feel like we are, God doesn't want us to feel inadequate all the time. He wants us to feel like we are being taken care of by him and our children are being taken care of by us and we can rest in that. And I really, when Charlie was little during all those crazy, those early years, I didn't feel like there was a book like that really for, especially a faith-based book for parents of kids with special needs. And so when Charlie got a little older and I got a little bit more hindsight about everything, that's when I really wanted to write this book because it's the book I wish I'd had when Charlie was little. Yeah, it's so critical on this journey to know that we're not alone. That other parents are experiencing very similar journeys and feel just as alone as we do. So thank yeah. you for writing the book and thank you for reaching out oh. to these parents who need to hear that. <laughs> yes. So would you tell us a little more about the book? Like how is it structured? Kind of what are the topics? How do you hope that readers, uh, what do you hope they come away with? The book is split up into six different parts. And it is basically the characteristics that I think that come out in parents of kids with special needs because they're the ones that we have to practice the most. I would also say, like, if I had to give a quiz to um, parents about this topic, they probably wouldn't have checked any of these (laughs) off as their boxes, which is why I intentionally put them in there. So So there's like resilience and determination and hope and thankfulness and laughter and all of these different traits that really I think we do possess in abundance because of all that we've been through. You know, I talk about in the book, resilience is is basically like hope is you pull into the parking lot of Whole Foods or Kroger or wherever you are, and you just you hope that the Caroline cart is there so you can get your kid in to the grocery store and shop because that Caroline cart that can hold him that there's probably just one of in the entire store has to be yours at that moment, you know. And then resilience is when you pull into the parking lot and it starts raining and there is no Caroline cart available and you rally anyway. And so I think that we've experienced all of the, all of those things. Like we've had to be more resilient when maybe therapies don't come through or the insurance declines something, or we're looking at our budget and the money is impossibly tight and we can't make the math work in our favor. Like we've had to push through when circumstances didn't work. And I think what one thing the book does is it points, like I'll share stories about Charlie and, and how we've, we've, dealt with these things. And then I'll also share scripture and stories from the Bible that point back to the same thing. And I think, or at least I hope as, as parents read it, they start to recognize those moments in their own life when they have been resilient or they have continued to hope, or they have, they have felt that thankfulness. And then just remembering all of those things can really encourage you for the future because God has provided in all these different instances that maybe you didn't look back on until now, but looking back now, these are all, this is all evidence that you're doing a good job and you can keep going and you're a better parent than you think you are. And that's kind of what the book is designed to do. Yeah, that's that's so, so needed. Many of the parents that were, that are listening here today are feeling overwhelmed 
you know, especially with yes. the latest with the coronavirus going on and that added into the just the normal already, overwhelmness yeah. and, you know, feeling like they can barely put one foot in front of the other. I know Sarah had told me at one point that she was mm-hmm. just trying to get through the next second. So then she could get through the next minute. It wasn't a matter of looking through getting yeah. through the oh, day. Gosh. It was just a, a matter of looking through getting through this next yeah. period of time. What would you say to that parent who is in this place? How would you, uh, how would you encourage them today? I would say that welcome to this place. Cause I'm in it with you. <laughs> um, I'm definitely, we're feeling the loss of structure that happened with everything with the coronavirus and the loss of, I think the illusion of all the plans that we kind of put in place to live our lives and, and, not make the days feel so long. Like I, I definitely feel that too. I would say that this is what I've been leaning into. And this goes back a little bit to hindsight. I think about the hardest times when I felt this way with Charlie, the, the time he got RSV and uh, Jody was out of town and it was the first time I'd ever been by myself parenting and we ended up in the emergency room because his oxygen levels were dropping and dropping. Um, the time he had a seizure at home and the twins were little and it was one of those seizures that didn't stop and they wouldn't even let me put my hands on him and I had to watch them carry him away and Ooh, didn't that's know all when kinds I was of scary and back. helpless. Oh goodness. Right. Like I think about those times that feel a little bit like these times and that there is no bit of control I have over the situation really. And I remember that those times passed. I didn't live in that moment and that feeling forever. God carried me out of those moments. And since those moments, there has been so much joy and so much laughter and so much of God's grace in our lives that it shows me that what feels like forever right now is actually temporary. And it's enough to keep me moving forward. It's enough to kind of make me feel comforted in these moments when it feels very, like the world feels very other and our family life looks different than it normally does. And just to remember those times when I felt the same way and, and that they then ended and, and we've had so many blessings since, that really does help kind of keep me grounded emotionally, as, and which then helps me get through physically and mentally and spiritually all these days in, that we're in now. Yeah. yeah it's hard, though. It's hard to remember. Like, it takes, you know, they say faith takes practice, and it, and it really does. It's like working this this muscle that like you don't use on a regular basis to try to, to try to remember the things. Cause you, you know, they say you're supposed to keep your focus on the eternal and, and, and that sometimes feels so vague because what I'm looking at right now is my life right now. And what that there's dirty dishes and lunch needs to happen in this many minutes. And there's probably a meltdown that's going to happen in this many minutes. And, So that feels very close. Mm. Um, And I think the thing that makes it feel a little more, that gives me a little more perspective is to remember the very specific things, not just vague things, but very specific memories that felt just as close that we were then carried 
through, you know what I mean? By an eternal omniscient God, even if I don't feel him close to me right now, those memories, he was there. And so that means he's there now. You know what I mean? Yes. Exactly. To take time to recount his faithfulness to us. Yes. 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 It can be so hard to do, you know, often our focus, it, it can be easy to remember the negative things. Those are the things, you know, those, those points of pain stand out to us and it can be hard to, the, 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 the points of faithfulness sometimes aren't as, yeah, they can, they can fade a little bit in the background. I know one of the things that we've mm-hmm. done is we actually got a collection of stones from the, from. Cause we like walking Michigan beaches. Yeah. We go like long Lake Michigan, Lake Huron. And uh, so we get this collection of stones. And oh, like, that's great. Right. And so we have this jar and we just write down, okay, one word that's clearly a God sighting. So there's, if you pull out a stone, you'll, you'll find all these different words that are on a stone and it brings a story to mind of how God was faithful to us. Oh, I love that. It, yeah. It's an easy way for us to remember what God has done. You don't have to take a whole, you know, hour to journal, write down a whole story. Because sometimes it just takes that one word to spur the memory back to, to our, our minds. And, and as parents, uh, with, with special needs children, we often don't have that time to write down, to journal all these things out. So just mm-hmm. it makes a, a quick little a reminder for us, uh, an easy way to remember what God did. And it becomes oh, an that. easy way to relate it to our kids and say, hey, remember when God did this, you know, and build Well, and that. it also it tangible, which I yes. love. Like you're holding a in your hand. Like, I don't know. I just think that's so, that's so great because it's, it's like a physical thing that you can attach to a memory that makes it real. I love that. So at the beginning of the podcast, We say that there is beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. How have you seen this to be true in your journey? Oh, wow. I mean, that if, if maybe that should have been the subtitle of the book. (laughs) 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 Oh, my goodness. That is just, yes. I think it's the natural inclination of people to see beauty at the destination. Mm. You know, beauty when you get to the end, it's like that feeling like you cross the line at the marathon and it's this not that I not that I've run a marathon I only assume (laughs) but uh that feeling that you've accomplished this great feat and I think that what you said and I think what God does want us to focus on is that there that it's actually the walk you're doing right now that is so beautiful no matter what you think it looks like and I think for me nothing of my motherhood has been predictable. Charlie's birth, Charlie's diagnoses, um, and then twins. I mean, who does that to themselves? So it has been very much um, unexpected, everything that's happened to us. But I think because I am such a person who likes routine and likes the expected, I think that God knew exactly what to do with my life to make me lean into him more. Because if that, if none of that had happened and things had proceeded as I had planned and hoped that they would, then I would not be the believer that I am the child of God that I am now in the same way, because I would have in the back of my heart and my mind thought that it was actually me doing all of this, you know? Um, And because I could have never predicted or planned the way all of this has spun out, I am much more 
attuned to what God is trying to teach me than I would be otherwise. Absolutely. So beauty in the journey for sure. Um, And then as far as the pain part, I think this is such, you know, this is why people always ask the question of suffering. You know, why does God allow us to suffer so much? Or especially when you're, when you have to watch your child suffer, I think that is maybe the hardest, the hardest thing to go through is I would much rather suffer than have Charlie suffer. I think that this is the only, this is the only thing that I try to, that I try to get through is that, or that I try to say to myself during those times when that feels so hard is that, so I am currently, as we're talking, 37 years old. I did just have to pause and remember. So that's scary. (laughs) I'm like, how old am I? 37 years old. And it's however many days until my next birthday. And Mm. it's, it's March, you know, and we're coming on summer and I am very much tied to the timeline that I'm in Mm. um, because I have a beginning and an end date and I am very much in this world right now. But God is not, Um, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about how God is timeless and how he puts all these little signposts in our lives to remind us of that. And so these moments that we feel this pain, God has felt that pain and he's felt all of our joy and he experiences it all at the same time. And so even as I'm experiencing pain, he can already see the joy that's going to come later. And so to remember that, that my timeline really is only temporary helps get me through those painful parts. Absolutely. I mean, I taught a class on C.S. Lewis when I taught high school and we read The Great Divorce and we talked about, we watched, you know, the characters get off the bus into this land that they did not fit into. Everything was brighter and harsher and sharper and more real. And they thought this was a bad thing. And it's because they were so used to a life that was less than. And I think, I think there's something to be said for every now and then reorienting our perspective so that we remember that, Mm. that we're going to get to another place someday. And we're going to see things that we never thought possible for our children. I mean, I think about this all the time, like that someday Charlie will be able to talk to me mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. say all those words and, and get out of that wheelchair and run around. Um, and that really does help me get through the, um, the parts that do feel so hard. Yes. Yes. I love that, 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 that perspective. I know so many parents are, are looking forward to that day. You know, it's not an uncommon question to be asked now. Who's the first person you want to talk to when you get to heaven? And uh, <laughs> that's, and you, you, you know, where I'm going with this. You know, often the general people in church will say, you know, Moses or Paul or Jesus or whatever. And uh, for, for the parents, I want to talk to my son. I want to hear mm-hmm. all these things that I've been going on. I want to hear, you know, I want to, I want to have these conversations with them. And uh, that's the first person I want to talk to. So I love that focus. I love that broadening out from where the the moment that we're in to that that eternal perspective. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. Thanks for making me think about it today. Mm Because, you know, we all need those reminders. So I'm glad I got to talk about it because it reminded me too. Definitely. Definitely. Jamie, I'll say this has been a delight. I love your heart. 
I love just how you communicate to special needs parents and love on them. So how can our listeners find you? I have a website. You can find me at jamie-sumner.com. And Eat, Sleep, Save the World is everywhere books are sold. It's on Amazon and Lifeway and at Barnes and Noble. And my website's on the back of the book as well. So, and I, and I love readers contact me and email me. I love hearing their stories and there's a place you can do that on my website. So I would, I would welcome that as well. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I know this would be a great encouragement to our listeners and it was an encouragement to me and to Sarah as well. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. 